Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I want to go, go over to Luke chapter 24. I come, I come with a question today. It's a rhetorical question, so you don't have to give me an answer. When someone asks you a rhetorical question, that means they want you to ponder it. They want you to think about it. They want you to consider it before you answer. The question is, is what makes Pentecostals Pentecostal? Luke 24, 45. Speaking of Jesus, he supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of Scripture. Then he said to them, everything that has happened, happened, fulfills what was prophesied of me. Christ the Messiah was destined to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Now you must go to all the nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins so they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem for you are my witnesses and have seen for yourselves all that has transpired. Oh, and don't forget. And I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. So stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you. And wraps all around you. Acts 5, 1, 8. But I promise you this, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you will be seized with power. And you will be my messengers to Jerusalem and throughout Judea and the distant providence, even to the places, to, to places on the earth. Distant places on the earth. Acts 2.39. For God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you, your families, and for those yet to be born, and everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. What makes Pentecostals Pentecostal? The reason I'm asking this question today, because I do have a concern, and that there seems to be a diminishing of our Pentecostal distinctive. Because it is our distinctive that makes Pentecostals Pentecostal. To really understand the weight of what I want to share with you, I, I have to first take just a few moments and, and identify the difference between evangelicalism and Pentecostalism. This is important. Because you see, Pentecostals are evangelicals. But evangelicals are not Pentecostals. They have shared beliefs. Both believe in the inerrancy and the infallibility and, and the inspired word of God. Both believe in the virgin birth. Both believe in sin and salvation. They believe that man is born with a nascent. 
And therefore, he cannot just become better. He must be redeemed. He must be reconciled to God, fully restored to God. Both believe in the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus on the cross and in three days later, his resurrection is real. Both believe in the ascension of Jesus and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for the saints. And both believe that he is a soon coming king. Yes, these are common beliefs. But there is a distinction. There is a primary distinctive. And for me to really, to I think, be clear about what this distinctive is, we have to go back to the origin of Pentecostalism. It was after the crucifixion and the resurrection that Jesus appeared to his disciples and he told them, I want you to go and I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the power of heaven, Holy Spirit would fall on them and that they should be wrapped up in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. That they should wait there until this power arrives and it was during the Jewish feast called Pentecost. 50, 50 days because it was 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. And while there were these uh, apostles of Jesus and more than a hundred others gathered in an upper room to celebrate the Pentecostal feast, there came a sound. A sudden sound came from heaven and it filled the house. It was the sound of a wind, not just any wind, but one Bible says it was a violent wind. It wasn't a breeze. It wasn't a sigh. It was a violent wind, the sound of a violent wind. Now there are some that say there was no real wind. There was just a sound, but we don't know that. We just assumed that because it said it was like. But there was a violent wind that came out of heaven. And then there were tongues of fire. A, 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 a pillar of fire came and it divided up into tongues of fire and it set on each one of them. And of these tongues of fire set up on each one of them, our Bible tells us there in Acts 2 that they begin to speak with others' tongues because as the fire set on them, that they were all, all, somebody shout all. I'm after all. I'm after all flesh. He said he'd pour his spirit out on all flesh. I'm after all. Look at me. If you've got skin, you're in. It can be red skin, yellow skin, black skin, brown skin, white skin. If you got skin, Holy Ghost power is for you today. They all begin to speak with the Holy in the Holy Spirit. As he gave them utterance, that means that he gave them the ability to speak. And in that moment, the church was born and the world was forever changed. It would never be the same. It was in the summer of 1906 that there was a cry of a few. Just like it was on the day of Pentecost. 
500 were invited, but 120, a few showed up and cried out for whatever this promise was. We don't know what it is, who it is, but all we know is Jesus said, I promise to put power on you. Just go and wait until you get it. And they went and they waited and they waited and they waited and then the power came. Well, this is a similar thing happened in 1906 in, 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 in a place called Azusa Street. There was a cry of a few and God unleashed the fire of the Holy Ghost. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues is something that the church had almost lost. There was a little bit here and a little bit there. And there was beginning to be some revivals break out around the world. But then there was this few that gathered on Bonnie Bray Street in 1906 in L.A. and began to cry out for the Spirit of God. They, they said, we want the same Spirit that was poured out in Acts 2. They said, this the people were going after Acts 2. And so the cry of those few unleashed a fire of modern Pentecostalism. These are our roots. These are our origin. I don't know if you understand the magnitude of what took place in Acts 2. I don't know if you understand the magnitude of what took place at 312 Azusa Street. But to the dismay of the mocking media, and they did mock them, and the rejection of the religious, a spiritual firestorm quickly spread across this nation and eventually around this globe. And a cry of a few launched a movement called Pentecostalism and they say today worldwide there were 600 million Pentecostals in the world. In less than 113 years from a few to over 6 million. You see, we as Pentecostals, for I am unashamed to say that I am a Pentecostal. I've told you before, I'm not only a Pentecostal, I'm a classical Pentecostal. That makes some people very uncomfortable, you know, but get over it. But Pentecostalism has a primary distinctive. You see, the word primary means it's first, it's highest rank, it's first in order. It doesn't mean it's your only distinctive. It's your primary distinctive. A distinctive is something that sets someone or something apart. So you say we have a primary distinctive. The Pentecostalism has a primary distinctive. So there is something, and you have to understand every movement whether it's a spiritual movement or a secular movement, every movement has a distinction. There's something attached to it. It is something that that movement should wear as a mark of excellence. It is something that you should become prolific in. 
It means it's your distinctive. That means you ought to be able to flow in it at such a level that it brings uh, productivity. It produces something of magnitude. It is your distinctive. Oh, I'm going to preach. When you have a distinctive, you cannot afford to let it die. Because if your distinctive dies, then you just blend in with everybody else. It's just like us. We all personally, we're marked with a distinction. There's something about us that God created us, even though we're all human. We're all different. Because we have a distinction, a divine distinction placed in us and on us by God. This is why we're alive at this time. Because what we carry needs to be manifested in this time. Just as a human being, I carry a distinction. It may be the way I walk. It may be the way I talk. It may be the way I do my hair. It may, may, it may be the way I drive my car. It may, it may be the clothes that I wear. But something about me may be the, my, my, my worldview. Something about me is distinct. If that goes away, I just blend in with the crowd. I'm just another person on this planet. You see... Azusa Street, the Azusa Street revivalists, I'll say, came to an understanding that the original Acts outpouring, that original Pentecostal experience was to be an example of what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see, if you are a Pentecostal, I'm talking about what makes a Pentecostal a Pentecostal. If you are a true Pentecostal, then you believe that there is a Holy Spirit. You believe there is a Holy Spirit baptism that is subsequent to salvation. And even subsequent to water baptism. It is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is to be baptized with Holy Spirit and fire. The distinction as a Pentecostal is that I believe that this baptism comes with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. And that this experience today has the same transformational encounter and experience as it did in the book of Acts with the original apostles. And not only do I believe that it is available today, I believe it is available for everyone today. I love what David Hall posted about on the day of Pentecost, the Pentecostal church was born. There was no other church. It was the first, and it was the only church born. So they couldn't get upset because the Pentecostals were too wild and say, I'm going to go to a church 
that's not Pentecostal. There was no such thing. There was one church born in the fire by the Holy Ghost. Everything after that was man-made. What makes a Pentecostal a Pentecostal? Because Pentecostals believe that the Holy Spirit is real. Pentecostals believe that God uses the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to activate in those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, that it activates in them the gift of tongues, that it activates in them the gifts of the Spirit, that it activates in them the power to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, that it activates in them the power over demons, it activates over them the power to preach the gospel of the kingdom. It is a dynamic spiritual force that is real. Holy Spirit ain't a thing. Holy Spirit is a person. You see, why is this important? Because I heard the Holy Spirit say, if we lose our distinction, we lose our directive. Okay. Got some stuff. So I came across an article. Now listen to me. Do not Google this. I'm, I'm serious. Because I want to protect the innocent. Now, this was a good article. But it could be misunderstood what I'm getting ready to do. I'm not trying to uh, bring dispersion on anyone's faith. The person that wrote this article was a true Pentecostal. They are a high-level Pentecostal influencer, not just in our nation, but around the world because of their position. So I'm not trying to, to, to say anything. Do not Google it because I don't want you going away thinking that I'm trying to disperse that person. I am not. I, I, I just read this article, and there was something that stuck out to me. And so it's a personal thing to me. So are, are you hearing me? So the name of the article is What is Pentecostalism Today. What is Pentecostalism? This article was written in a response to a newspaper columnist. And I'm, I'm not quoting yet. To a columnist who, who wrote an article because he was alarmed at the growing rate of Pentecostalism. Now I quote. This newspaper columnist said, Will much of Christianity be transformed in the jerking, howling, swooping congregations who, who utterly incoherent sounds? If so, that's one reason for thinking people to renounce irrational spiritualism. Okay. So that sparked this article. Because this article was written for the purpose to explain what is this movement, Pentecostalism, what is this movement and what does it truly represent? And I quote, the modern Pentecostal movement took its name from the moment of the church's birth on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts 2. Pentecostals and Charismatics believe the gifts of the Spirit as described in the Bible, are active today as the Holy Spirit empowers Christ. 
as the Holy Spirit empowers Christ followers. Research estimates that this movement now includes 600 million or one out of every four. So a quarter of Christians in, the, in, in this people planet today say they are Pentecostal. So that makes, that makes a, a Pentecostalism Christians a quickest or fastest growing uh, movement in the history of Christianity. I'm talking about where we are today. That's, those are outstanding numbers. So that got me thinking. I thought, I wonder how that breaks down. So I did a little more research. Y'all with me? So the first thing I wanted to find out, I wanted to go in and I wanted to confirm. How many Pentecostals are there in the world? And, and, and indeed, there are 6 million Pentecostals. If you have the, the whole total of those that are included in Pentecostalism. But it is broken down. 92 million are denominational, are Pentecostals, are classical Pentecostals. 92 million. 234 million are charismatic. That, that would be those that are, that, that, that are in the Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant churches. Those that came in uh, through the charismatic movement or even today are experiencing being spirit-filled and the things and the gifts of the spirit today. 259 million are independent Pentecostals and charismatics. So I thought, well, that's, that's, that's good. That's good to know. Well, I'm smarter now. So then I thought, well, I wonder how that breaks down for the good old U.S. of A. And what I found was in the good old U.S. of A, there are, they, they said, you know, it's difficult because they are, you know, estimating some things. But they say in the good U.S.A., there are 10 million Pentecostals. Don't know, I couldn't find any information on how that's broken down, but there are 10 million Pentecostals in the United States of America. In case you're wondering what the population of America is, it's 332 million. 332 million in America. It is the third largest nation on the planet. China one, India second, America third. 322 million, the third largest country in the world. And out of 600 million Pentecostals, 10 million of them reside in this nation. Yet we boast that we are the fastest growing movement in Christianity ever. Now obviously, it's not because there's revival in America and the Pentecostal movement is growing. It is growing actually. Slightly, but it is growing. Which in this current spiritual condition, y'all stay with me. Where we are as a nation, most movements and denominations are in decline. So those who label themselves Pentecostals or Charismatics, there is some growth, just small percentages, but they're, they're, at least they're moving forward and not going backwards. The Assemblies of God, which is a movement that we're a part of, 
we, we, we boast because we are somewhere, I, 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 the numbers are, are kind of everywhere, but some 7 million worldwide, symbols of God, 7 million worldwide, somewhere around 3 million or 70 million, 70 million, not 7, 70 million, somewhere around 3 million in this nation. Pentecostal assemblies, God, Pentecostal people. Uh, the two largest Pentecostal fellowships or movements in our nation are really in the world. First being the Pentecostal Church of God in Christ with somewhere around 10 million. I mean, uh, excuse me, somewhere around 6 million. So you have 6 million Pentecostal uh, Church of God in Christ and then, then you have the assemblies of God coming up behind with somewhere around 3 million. The reason I, 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 I'm, I'm releasing this is because I want us to really get a good understanding of where the Pentecostal movement is today. Where have we come in 2,000 years and where have we come from in those 113, 14 years, whatever it is, uh, since Azusa Street? And so go back to this article because uh, he, he spent some time there just talking about the numbers and throwing those out there, which I, I thought was quite interesting. And then he says this. When I'm asked to describe our fellowship, our movement, our denomination, a few important things come to mind. Okay, so here's the deal. What he's now doing is he's identifying, even though our growth may be slow, there is growth. And he's getting ready to identify and give us the characteristics why Pentecostalism is growing in America. Are y'all with me? Even though Pentecostalism is growing exponentially, y'all need to make this point. It's not growing exponentially in America. It's going exponentially in what they call now, and I didn't even know what this was, what they call uh, the, 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 the global south. We'll get back to that. Are y'all with me? Okay, so, 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 so he, he goes through and he begins to talk about some things. Why, 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 why are we seeing growth? Why are we seeing, you know, positive numbers? Even though they're small, we are seeing positive numbers. And so why? Number one, because we are biblically centered. I say yes and amen. Biblically centered. You're going to find that every one of these are our book of Acts characteristics. They are legitimate characteristics of a Pentecostal church. All right? Biblical centered. Number two, missionally driven. That as the Pentecost, Pentecostalism is based, is biblically centered, and it is always because it is about the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit connected to world evangelism, it's always missionally driven. Okay, that's good, right? Y'all say, yeah, that's good. The third one is ethnically diverse. So it said that as a movement, the Pentecostal movement is ethnically diverse. Now, most of this diversity takes place because it's planted strongly around the world. Because when they, to me, when I say ethnically diverse, I'm thinking of a local body, and I'm thinking of all ethnicity represented in a local body. That's what I think of. But this is not talking about, this is talking about global Pentecostalism. So this isn't talking about integrated um, 
congregations, this is talking about uh, really almost segregated congregations, but all Pentecostals. So you have your black, you have your Asian, you have your Hispanic, you have your, so, so you have those. And so, but, but because they're all under the same umbrella, they say that we are ethnically diverse. I'll give them that. Okay. Because that's book of Acts. If you follow the Acts church, it was never, it was never one ethnicity. It was multiple, it was breaking down racial lines constantly. So the, and the, the fourth one was that the, Pentecostal, the Pentecostalism, and it really has, uh, even though there, 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 are, there are pockets and there are some, some struggles, but they have empowered women more than any other movement, Christian movement in the earth. Because they understand in the book of Acts, they understand, they, they, they see that, that women were apostles and pastors. They, they, they have the same Holy Ghost. And then the last one was, remember, we're talking about what is Pentecostalism and why is Pentecostalism growing in our nation? The third one was, because we are compassionate oriented or we have compassionate ministries. That's good. The Acts Church was very compassionate. The Acts Church was very generous to the poor and the marginalized. And so should we as the church, as a Pentecostal church. So I'm thinking these are awesome. These are great. But when I was just going through it again and again, I thought, wait a minute, something is missing. So I, surely I missed it. And the closest thing I could find to a distinctive was that on the day of Pentecost, the church was born as Acts 2, and Pentecostals and charismatic believe the gifts of the Spirit as described in the Bible are active today as the Holy Spirit, as Holy Spirit empowers Christ's followers. That's the closest thing I could come to that said anything about the primary distinctive of Pentecostalism or Pentecostal churches, which is they believe that the Holy Spirit is real. And it is subsequent to salvation experience and water baptism experience that there is another baptism, that there is another encounter, that there is another level, that there is transformation beyond salvation. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. And people that experience that are people that are word-centered, are people that are missionally minded, are people that understand ethnicity, are people that understand oh my God, I'm going to preach up in this house, are people that understand uh, women being empowered in ministry and people that are more compassionate, more generous than anybody on this planet. But I have come to decree to you, almost any evangelical church can say we are that people. I'm talking about if we lose our distinction, we lose our direction. 
Well, what's our directive? Our directive as a Pentecostal church is to make sure we don't lose the distinction. The Acts church had a mandate. Usher in the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you can receive power to be my messengers and my witnesses in all the earth. Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't just a, a theology that we discuss and debate and decide whether it's real or for day or, or today or not. Holy Spirit is a person sent from heaven to baptize the church with the power of heaven. See, a classical Pentecostal believes in speaking in tongues and that is initial sign. It is the subsequent baptism to the Holy Spirit. It is the primary distinction that makes Pentecostals Pentecostal. Now, are y'all doing all right? Classical Pentecostals are in a class all their own. Classical Pentecostals are a nightmare to progressive Christians. They don't know what to do with us. Because we stand for everything they stand against. So in my deep research this week, I came across this article and it said, what progressives have to say to Pentecostals? I thought, this ought to be good. <laughs> this is a real progressive sharing his heart. What progressives have to say to Pentecostals? Being delivered from personal demons is great. Praying over cities to break and to bind strong men that hold people in bondage is fine. There is a vital missing element that needs to be added. It's not just about the personal and the heavenly that leaves a gap that must be filled. In the middle, so they're, they're okay. They're tell, he, he's, he's addressing our spiritual warfare over territories. When I say us, I don't mean like Fresh Start Church. I just mean the body of Christ. Charismatics, Pentecostals. Okay. Especially classical Pentecostals. This leaves a gap that must be filled. In the middle 
is the address of systems, structures, and institutions. If you, if you faith, if you should say, if your faith is primarily personal, congregational, and supernatural, heavenly, then you might want to revisit your understanding of Scripture and the address of, stimi- of, of uh, systemic sin or sins like injustice, inequities. Otherwise, you are a danger of being so heavily minded that you actually reinforce and empower the very structure that you say you are against. I thought, hmm. So, now... It's our turn for the Pentecostals. And what do we have to say to progressives? I didn't like the one in the ark, so I wrote my own. Dear Mr. Progressive. The inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God says. In Acts chapter 10, in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the power and the Holy Ghost, or with the Holy Ghost and power, and he went about everywhere doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. I would like to remind you that Jesus laid hands on people. I would like to remind you that the apostles laid hands on I would like to remind you that the epistles say we should lay hands on one another. I want to let you know, uh, Mr. Progressive, that when you lay your hands on somebody in faith, you expect something supernatural to take place. And when we lift up our voice and we point our fingers into the heavenlies, ah, we're not just moving systems and structures. We're moving the principalities that set behind them. Because God always moves in the spirit before the natural. Oh, Mr. Progressive. The reason Jesus did this is because he understand or understood if you're going to move a system and you're going to move a structure, then you've got to touch a soul. Because you can pass every law you can pass. You can oh, you can determine everything the way it should be and not be. But until a man or a woman's heart is touched by the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, they will never change. Somebody shout yes. Whoa. Whoa. 
I'm telling you, you're a nightmare to hell. They want the church to sit down, shut up, and fold up. But I say it's time to get filled with the Holy Spirit all over again and lose power. My concern, you can be seated. My concern is that we are going the other direction. That if we're not careful, we're letting the progressive Christianity push us into progressive Pentecostalism. Where we think our strong points, even though they're biblical and they're important and they're vital for, to, to be a strong, healthy Functioning local church. If we lose our distinctive. Because our directive. Is to keep the supernatural realms open. You, you, you can't do that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Churches that don't preach baptism of the Holy Spirit. Churches that don't lead people into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People that understand it's not optional. It's not optional. It wasn't optional on the day of Pentecost. Well, actually it was. Because only 120 made their way to the upper room. The other, the other, the other what, were 380 just decided they would just go on their way and stay in a small space doing nothing. But then there was a people that were so hungry to see revolution, to see transformation, to see the world change changed like this Jesus had changed them to see the power that went through him go through them yes so I thought man maybe I'm maybe I'm missing this maybe I'm maybe I'm getting, jumping the gun maybe I'm not seeing everything maybe it's not as bad as I think it is So even this morning, I was just looking through some things, and I come across this article. <laughs> Don't worry, I didn't bring it. <laughs> just, the just, the, just the title of it got me. It said, the, it said, the assemblies of God surge. Now, what that statement meant is they're growing, while other movements are not. So Pentecostalism is growing. Assemblies of God surge, comma, but speaking in tongues slumps. So as we boast in our numbers, we have less people sitting in our churches that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. So we are not stronger. We are weaker. The reason I'm preaching this is because I believe there's a mantle in this house for the assemblies of God. I believe that God has said this here. I'm talking about us, Fresh Start Church. That we're here for a strategic time to let one of the classical Pentecostal movements and refuse to let it die. To be a people. To be a beacon of light. To be a people that so there's still a remnant. There's still hungry people. There are people that will contend for Holy Ghost outpouring. Yeah, and then I came across another one, and this is a quote. It said, but, but the Assemblies of God is becoming, and by the way, these articles are written by Assemblies of God people, like, you know, the real smart ones. The ones that sit in high places. 
of education. But the assemblies of God, listen, this lesson has literally said this, is becoming less distinct. Just, I wrote it down right here, just this morning. Less distinct in other ways. More and more adherents seem to be holding their tongue. Water baptisms are up. Spirit baptisms in decline. What does that mean? That means we're not teaching transformation beyond salvation. And as we boast in our numbers, they tell us that 95% of Assemblies of God Spirit-filled people live outside of the USA. I may get in trouble for preaching this message, but somebody's got to stand up and cry loud and spare not. We got to get our head out of the sand and act like it's okay. We got to act like somebody else is going to do the job. I want you to know there's a reason God, when he birthed his church, he birthed it out of Pentecost. Because he knew that was the only church that had, that had the power and the spirit anointing. I'm not saying we're the only one going to heaven. I'm not saying we're the only one God can use. I'm just saying we have a distinctive. And if we let that distinctive die, nobody else is going to fight for it. Yes? yes? I don't even know where to go with this now. I don't believe it is intentional. I don't believe there's a, a, a conspiracy. I don't, people, I, don't, I don't think people of influence are sitting around and how can we do this and how can we do that and how can we push Holy Ghost? Nobody, no Pentecostal would ever want to push Holy Spirit out. No Pentecostal would ever want to have church without him. No Pentecostal would want to be able to live without him. I don't want to pray without him. I don't want to preach without him. I don't want to breathe without him. You don't know the struggle I go through. Every time I know I'm about ready to get up, I say, God, Holy Ghost, I need you. Holy Ghost, I got to have you. These are words on a page. And without the anointing, there's still words on a page. I need you, Holy Spirit. We got to get back. We got to get our need back. So I found it interesting that just bear with me. I'm, I'm trying to move. Because I want to have some Holy Ghost up here today. So let me, let me just, okay. The, remember I mentioned something called the Global South. I was unfamiliar with this until I, I came across this term. The Global South is impoverished regions of Africa, Latin America, and Southeast Asia. These, this is called the global south. And at this point, this is where the majority of Pentecostalism is growing. Because it is a people with great need. And I thought, well, why are they growing? And we are not. So, this is what I found out. Number one reason Pentecostalism is exploding in the global south 
is that they say even the non-Christians are accustomed to highly experiential forms of worship and religious practice. So when you talk about the global south, you're talking about a people who already understand spiritual dynamics and believe in the supernatural. It's just life for them. And you know, the early Pentecostal movement, one one of the defining things that it brought to the church was that they they would have literally, Azusa Street up to, that they would literally have anywhere from four to five hour straight worship services. This would include singing, spontaneous expressions of praise through dancing, clapping, shouting, speaking in tongues, calling forward those that needed to be healed and delivered. We call that an altar call. But yet the majority of our Pentecostal churches today won't even have a simile of an altar call. One church in our valley, he got, a, he, got, he, he got questioned on it. And someone in this church asked him, why don't we have altar calls? And he said, you're at liberty to take a knee anytime you want. But the reason the Pentecostal movement is glowing is because people are called to the altar. People are given a time of, 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 of expression of their worship and their praise and their praying. In other words, they're not sitting there just watching what's happening. They're a part of what's happening. Aren't you glad that you go to a church that you don't come in and sit down and just watch everything? Aren't you glad that you are part of the biggest part of it with your worship, with your praise, with your prayers? But today we have become so entertainment oriented and we all come in and sit and we watch the show. And unfortunately, we get bored out of our brains. I'm not making up. I've been to one of those churches. I thought, my God, that was the longest 44 minutes of my life. So no wonder they have a short service. Lord, help me wash my mouth. I asked the Holy Ghost to help me wash my mouth today. So this, this, this was a great draw in the global south. This is hungry people. Needy people. And you know what I thought was very interesting? This really caught me by surprise. The second thing, and then this, this, this will be the last thing, but the second thing was that they actually embraced because what well, it's a derogatory term in most places, but what they would call the prosperity gospel. That God will bless you as his child. And they embraced this. And the reason they embraced it is because of the great need in their life. 
And they embrace this teaching that as a, as a son of God, as a daughter of God, God wants to provide for you. And not only does he want to provide for you, but he wants to lift you. It wasn't that they wanted to have a BMW and try to have a big house. They just wanted to be able to have food on their table. And they just wanted to be able to have a job. And they just wanted to have a good family. And then somebody told them, this is the gospel of the kingdom. And when you come to the king, not only do you get forgiven of your sins, not only does he fill you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but when he touches you, he, cha he changes your soul. He changes your spirit. And then all of us sudden a man wants to make sure he's a good husband to his wife and a wife wants to make sure she's a good wife to her husband and a husband and a wife make sure that their kids are well taken care of and educated and dream and believe and when you get a family like that before long it's going to change a community it's going to change a city it's going to change a nation it is going to bring transformation as we are struggling to change systems and structures maybe we should refocus on the soul and the spirit of a man let me put my hands on you and break poverty off you let me break sickness and addiction off you let me break perversion off you let me break abuse off you but here in America we don't need that anymore so we slide into progressive Christianity thinking that somehow we are going to change the system it's going to take the Holy Spirit falling on our nation. Can I get a witness? Stand all over this house. The missing factor is the S factor. The S factor acknowledges that there is something more than human-generated activity in Pentecostalism. Did you hear what I said? Progressive Christianity is all generated humanism, Marxism. Pentecostalism is something more outside of that, beyond that. Pentecostalism shouts to the church, shouts to the world, there is something outside of yourself. He is Holy Spirit. When he came to Azusa Street, they said, the comforter has come. The comforter has come. We cried and he came. Comforters. How did they know that? Because they spoke in other tongues. I was just going through all of this stuff. I was like, oh, God, help me. God, help us. Pastors 
said how thankful they were that they have heard at least at least somebody speak in tongues in their church once a month this is our distinctive so now and I'm gone then it's all yours but while I'm here I will fight the fight I will continue to, to contend for street strategic outpourings as we move along this wave of the restoration of Pentecostalism to its purest form I thought we were revival. That is revival. Unfortunately, much of the church today has been inoculated with a mild form of a disease. Inoculation is when a body simulating a growth of an antibody leaving that person immune to the full blown version you get inoculated with the vaccine so when the full blown thing comes you resist it your physical body says no I have antibodies that says no and when much of the Pentecostal church has been inoculated will the mild form of Pentecostalism when the full blown real deal shows up they resist revival I can't handle that I just like the mild version. But we got to move from mild to wild. I come to let Fresh Start people know you ain't seen anything yet. If you say, oh my God, they're crazy. Oh my God, do they have to praise like that? Dance like that? Shout like that? Pray in tongues like that? From the platform, do they got to do that? I say, get ready. Get ready. Because wildness is about ready to be loose. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.